Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to the most quest-packed podcast in the world, House of Games. Today, I'm joined by my fellow quest giver, Odo, as we prepare to enter the House of Games in search of a guest for our next podcast episode. But before we venture into these haunted corridors of the House of Games, let's check our inventories, stack our potions, and now we're ready to embark on this week's episode of House of Games. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of House of Games and today we have a special theme that we're going to discuss which is quests. But I think first of all, Rune, what is a quest? Oh, thanks for hanging out like that. I was not prepared <laughs> at all. Well, I don't know. A quest in a video game. There are yeah. different types what of quests. What is it? Oh, okay, well... Let's hear it. Uh, yeah. I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, you're being asked to do something and you do it. But, you know, yeah. you have main quests and side quests. And uh, I thought that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to yes, throw it absolutely. back to you. What, what, what do you yes. have in mind? Uh, well, I guess first for definitions, I guess a quest is... As you said, something where the player is tasked with doing something... Like, it's sort of a, a challenge or something to complete, to progress in the game, for example. And uh, as you said, there are different categories. So you have the main quest, which is usually, you know, when you do the main quest, the game is over, basically. Or the main story is completed or concluded, and it's usually the longest quest uh, of all. And then you have the side quest, side quests, which are, I guess... You could call it like filler gameplay, basically, mm. where it doesn't matter if you do them or not, you will still be able to complete the main quest. But usually they either help by just entertaining you or making you level up or something like that to help you with the the main quest, yes. I suppose. And do you have a favorite quest, by the way, or a favorite main quest? Yeah, for example. I, yeah, I do do have a couple of opinions on that, on both uh, the games that I like that does it right and some that does it wrong. But we can start with the good ones. And uh, I mentioned this so many times in this podcast, but the Elder Scrolls games are my favorite side quests. I have never paid attention to the main quest in those games. I don't even know if I played them, to be honest. But I did platinum one of the... Uh, it must have been Skyrim. Did I platinum it? Anyway... I do love the side quests, especially the Assassin Guild ones in, uh, for example, Oblivion, uh, Skyrim, uh, Morrowind. Did they have assassins in Morrowind? There's one in particular. There the must Dark be... Brotherhood, you mean? Yeah, yeah, sorry, the Dark Brotherhood, yeah. And there's one in particular that is still sort of stuck on my mind, and that's uh, from Skyrim when you sneak into some rich guy's house up into the attic. And there's like a secret little door and you go in there and you untie a a bull head or a moose head that is hanging on the wall. And you know that around 8 o'clock he's sitting underneath that one. So you untie it and it will fall down and kill him. And then it looks like an accident. And I think that was just so cool uh, when I did that. And I felt like the, the Dark Brotherhood's uh, side stories in, in all of these games felt like they were more... They had more unique things to them. Things that, uh, well, for example, untying that rope. And if, if memory serves, I believe there was even an animation for the rope being untied. And I don't think I saw that anywhere else in the game. And those are the nice details I love. And I try to put a lot of them in Sunset Moon. These things that most people will miss. But if you do pay attention to them, you will uh, you will get it. That, that that reward for actually paying ten attention to it or going to a certain place in a certain time and so on. I do lo I love those things in video games when they pay so much attention to things that most people won't even see. But uh, yeah, so to answer that question, those are my some of my favorite ones, the Dark Brotherhood ones, and those I actually I bother sort of reading everything and listening to the, all the dialogues while playing, for example, the Mage Guilds or the the, the Fighters Guilds, and this is. Back when I was a trophy horse, I would just press through all those dialogues because I didn't really care. 
but the Dark Brotherhood I always cared about. So those are amazing, and I do, and especially because they they add those tiny details that I didn't see anywhere else in the game, and that that just uh, that speaks to me. Another game that I really enjoyed the side quests in are are um, God of War, the re reboot one. So not Ragnarok, but the the fourth one, whatever you want to call it, for uh, PlayStation 4. And what I really loved about the side quests in that game is that they're all sort of connected to the main story in a nice and very, really nice way. So if you haven't played them, the first thing you do is sort of the mother's ashes. You're going to bring them to the mountain. That's basically the, the, the main story of the game, to bring the ashes to some mountain. And uh, in one of the side quests... Your son, he's, I don't quite remember the details, but something about, well, I was, I know that if we do this and this, we can bring mom's life, mom back to life or something like that. And Kratos like, no, this is bullshit, boy. Uh, whatever, we do it. So he, you, obviously you're playing as Kratos. So you, you end up doing it for, for your son, I suppose. And then it doesn't lead to anything, but it's still tied into the main story because it's about your mom and the ashes. And then Kratos says something like, I told you it was a waste of time. But while you did that side quest, uh, Kratos and his son sort of connected a little bit. And it had still something to do with the main story. And those, I, uh, all of them in God of War was really good in, in terms of being side quests, yet they are tied to the main story. And I think that was really smart. And I haven't really seen that in any other games that I've played. So I hope that's... Um, I assume that's the case in the second game, Ragnarök, but I hope and I I hope more games do that moving forward. Because well, we will talk about things we don't like in side quests later, and I'll come back to this. Uh, but those are some great side quests, in my opinion. Do you have any examples of um, side quests you enjoy and why you enjoy them? Yeah, absolutely. So I can add to that which you mentioned about the Elder Scrolls and the Dark Brotherhood, there was actually one question which is, I think it was in the Elder Scrolls for Oblivion. So the quest is that it's basically like a reverse Agatha Christie. I don't know how you pronounce it in English, but Agatha Christie in hell. Uh, like a, one of those novels where you have maybe... I think it's maybe something like five or six guests. And then your task is to kill all of them. And then nobody can be aware of who is the killer, like, at all. So you have to kill all of them. Nobody knows who it is. And then uh, at the end, it's only two of you left. And then you just, Mm. you know, Mm. Uh, it's a really, really uh, exciting quest. And I think the condition about... Nobody should know who the killer is. Is only a bonus requirement, so you can just go chopping everyone down from the first second and then still technically complete it. Mm. So that's also something that I like. That it's it takes a lot of thinking and you know effort to sort of talk to everyone and figure out how you are going to isolate them from each other. Mm. So you want to get them when they're alone. So nobody else sees it happen. So it could have been anyone. and uh, But still, it gives you the option to just, you know, shop everyone down the first second you step into the house. So I like those things where there are multiple ways to solve the issue. I've got to say, quest, I, guess. I don't remember that one. Uh, I must have played it because I played all of these Elder Scrolls games. But I think now that you say it, that maybe I... On an unconscious level, I do remember it because in Sunset Moon, on ha- Halloween, uh, my in my documents, I made an idea that you celebrate Halloween in the police house. Um, and my idea was to have a, like a panic room situation where you one of the guests pretend to be dead and you figure out who it is. Now, this is a peaceful game, so you... you well, technically speaking, you can actually go beat everyone up, but it's more like a game for the people on the on the island. And uh, now that you said that, I'm thinking maybe that's where I got it from. But to be honest, I uh, I do get the the whole panic room thing and the thing you explained there. They're not the same things, but I get them a bit uh, confused 
uh, yeah. mixed up. But that was anyway the idea I have for the Halloween event in my game that yeah. you go to the to the police station and as I mentioned in some previous episode it's inspired by the Biohazard 2 police station. So I thought that would be a, a fitting place to have a Halloween event and then I was also thinking to turn it into the sort of panic room where you have to solve uh, who who killed uh, this police officer. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah. And that, now I think that's probably where I got that idea from because uh, the, now. The, when you said it, 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 it totally. There's something that I, I feel. I feel like I remember it, yet I don't. But that's how it goes. We yeah. we keep getting inspired and borrow from things all the time. But that's cool. That sounds awesome. Um, I really want to go back and yeah, play it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a really really great quest. Um, highly recommended. So in Elder Scrolls Oblivion, another game that also sort of reminds me of that same sort of thinking about uh, making quests, which is, I would say, the best game for quests that I've experienced ever, which is The Witcher 3. Have you played it? Uh, yes, but I got stuck playing the Gwent game and I never... Oh, right, yes. <laughs> I made it to... Uh... Like the the second main city or whatever. It was a fat guy, and I think he had a whole DLC pack about the Red Wedding or something. Man, it's so long time ago this game came out, but basically it was a. I remember that the city was a, it was a moat around it, and I think it was a fat king who lived there. But that's how far I made it, and then I got completely consumed by the Gwent game, and I never played it again. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's the sort of tutorial era, I suppose. Uh, okay. But that game, at least, if you skip the Gwent stuff, uh, it it has sort of a system where you imagine that the quest system is gonna be a lot. So for those who don't know, The Witcher is basically a game about witchers in this universe. Is people who are basically bounty hunters for monsters. So what they do is that they um, like hunt monsters and then uh, they get rewarded for taking care of a monster, like a werewolf or a vampire or whatever it might be. And you imagine that before playing it, that a lot of the monsters would be, or the quest would be something like go and kill three werewolves and then come back and get 100 gold or something like that. And it's also... Because there are a lot of quests that look like that, but like they are set up like that. Like here is the task: you have to kill a vampire, and you imagine it's just gonna be that. But like almost every time, there's just something that's not right, and it just leads you into this amazing branch of uh, like a some crazy goose chase. Like you're about to kill the vampire or something, and then it turns out the vampire is actually good or something or it's actually it wasn't a vampire it was this like bigger beast or Mm. it was something else Uh, and then it turns into like in the end you have to save this guy's daughter or you have to sacrifice uh whatever wow uh and that's yeah and that's like for every side quest there's just something like it's written so well that it might have been like a main quest Mm. Uh, quest in any other game i would say that sounds and, awesome uh, yeah. and it's yeah what, what it also makes me think about one of the th- things that i tried to to i've tried in the red column games and even in in sunset moon is this uh, the idea that it's life you know life is unpredictable yeah. anything can happen and uh I, I tried to tell that sort of stories in the red column games but you know they're very short and, and simple games in many ways yeah. but you just die in, in one of them and that's it and then the message there is just like this is it's life you know it's not always a happy ending yeah and i really love that kind of stuff and that's why i also love uh, the jibiri jibiri studio the japanese anime studio like their moves are so weird and then they just end and it's like well what happened and then <laughs> you know that that's it yeah like it, it doesn't explain everything and i absolutely love that stuff and I also feel that I, yeah. in a lot of indie movies and uh, especially European movies as well. I think that's really neat. And uh, there's, uh, yeah, that sounds really cool uh, in the in The Witcher. I wish I kept playing the game, but like, yeah, like I said, I ended up just playing the card game, and then I, <laughs> I believe I bought the card game on because uh, they released it later on 
a tablet or smartphones and I played it. Yeah, there. like a separate uh, game for it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I love that kind of stuff where uh, it's very unpredictable where it takes you. And that feels real somehow, you know, it, it's, it's real because that's basically how real life works. You, you can't always plan everything out and nothing ever goes how yeah. you thought it would. So exactly. Yeah, and also like the whole game is built like every monster has like a certain number of weaknesses and or you have to make like potions or you have to use this specific magic or you have to do this thing before you can uh, even see it even. So it has a lot of those things where it has different ways to solve the same thing and and so on. So it's uh, really, really good. And it all actually I did... Now that I think about it, I did sort of the reverse thing from you. Like when I played it for the first time, I said like, oh, card game, I fucking hate this. And then I just skipped it. And then further along the story, there was some quest where you had to play and win some card game to progress in the story, I think. Mm. Uh, And then I didn't know any of the rules because I skipped the tutorial Mm. for the card games and I didn't understand it at all. So I just gave up and then it took a while before I like... uh, picked it up again and started playing it and then did like the whole experience. I, that reminds me of uh, Final Fantasy X. Uh, when I played that game for the first time, I couldn't care less about the Blitzball system because I was so bummed out that they didn't continue with the card games they had in Final Fantasy VIII and IX, uh, which are my favorite card games in any game because they're not super complicated and they're not too easy. And these are the cards games that I will try to copy into my own game because I have a, a script started on it but it's not done yet but I want to have that sort of card game mechanic so you can play with other NPCs uh, anyway the Blitzball game in Final Fantasy X was something that you had to play later on in the story if memory serves I can't quite remember if you had to win or not I feel like you did have to win but I remember the first time being really frustrated because I didn't bothered playing Blitzball at all. Uh, but then Final Fantasy X came to the PlayStation Vita and I tried to platinum the game. I have one trophy left, I believe. And that's like filling out all the the level up branches. So that's just like constant grinding. Uh, so I gave up. Uh, so I have all the trophies in a Final Fantasy game, which is insane because they're quite intense. But uh, the Blitzball game, I did play that on the PlayStation Vita. And that's when I realized it's it's very much like the card game in terms of it's just like about the numbers. Like this number is stronger than right. that and sort of that sort of strategy, which I really enjoyed. But uh, so did you end up learning Gwent and pass that side quest or did you give up? Yes. So I actually, when I did try it again, I started from the beginning because I thought I probably should do this like from the beginning and then do like the easy matches and stuff in the beginning so I learn when like I really need it so uh, yeah that's what I did but I did play the game on the hardest mode uh, when I did that like from the beginning Mm. uh, which was also quite a challenge so uh, yeah that's where I'm at now now actually the reason that I stopped playing is that I'm stuck on some Gwent game where there's, I played through the main story in one of the DLCs, but then there's the second DLC that is like, I think one of the things is that you can win this unique sword or something if you win this uh, Gwent game, but you lose some stuff if you don't win the game, but it's optional. But I really, I'm like stuck at this game and I don't want to lose, so I just... Uh, it faded out into nothing, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, so. It's uh, when, yeah, yeah the, I've got to say, it uh, is the roadblock. Yeah, I uh, I got quite excited now to to play it again. I believe there's a remake coming because they're gonna make Witcher Four, if uh, memory serves, and I believe they're gonna do a remake. But I'm thinking if I should download this and play it on this Steam Deck. Oh, actually, I do. Oh, man, I do already have it on my Steam Deck. I just haven't played it. Now I got excited again to play uh, The Witcher. Nice. For the, the, the side story stuff nice. that you mentioned. That sounds really cool. And I also want to play that uh, Oblivion uh, quest. Or at least I'm going to look up on the internet how they did it. Because I might want some inspiration for my own game in there. Uh, that being said, yeah. I... Um, 
I want to bring up some uh, bad side quests. I don't know, like, uh, in terms of main quests, I guess we can leave that to the, to the final part of this episode. But in terms of yeah. side bad side quest design, in my opinion, is contrary to uh, God of War, you have, I, around that time, I also played Spider-Man on the PS4. And, and Infamous is another great example of awful side quests. And that's basically just this. So in Spider-Man, you swing around the city, and then, which it was cool the first two, three times maybe, where it's like a car chase going on somewhere, and then you see it over there, and then you go there, and then you beat up the bad guys, and then there you go. And then another one, you had to help your, uh, the Green Goblin's son, I believe. He had some environmental eco-friendly thing to check the air in New York City. So you had to oh, yeah, play that. some stuff or break some stuff. I can't remember which one. And that was, you know, fun for the first time. And then you just keep doing it over and over and over again. And then I be also believe that they had similar quests, but you did something else. So instead of like setting up these things for the environment, you maybe went around and broke some telecommunication things for, from the bad guys or something like that. So it's basically yeah. just the same quest in a different suit. And I hate those quests. I think it's lazy from the developer side or whatever, and it's just boring. And this is something I personally really try to avoid in, in Sunset Moon when I write my side quests. I hope that every quest will feel unique and different. So you're always on like, you. I hope the player will feel sort of uh, surprised all the time. Like, oh, I've never done this before. Now you have to do this and that. But of course, th the problem doing that when you try to, to make everything different is that it's almost like the tutorial episode we talked about introducing things in the game all the time. It feels like uh, that, can be, that can be frustrating. But if you can balance that in a good way to make things new and unique, yet it uses the same sort of mechanics as before, that's the best balance, uh, in my opinion. But Spider-Man and Infamous are some other games that have awful side quests. And I uh, I really look forward to play Spider-Man uh, Miles Morales or whatever his name was. And yeah. the, the second one. Uh, I haven't really heard people complaining about the side quests. I think they sort of sorted it out a little bit, at least. But yeah, that being said, those are my absolute... Uh, least favorite side quests when it's basically the same stuff over and over again but in different you know facade you yeah. know uh, or when they just do the same things over and over again and when there's no reward yeah. doing them now in spider-man it was fun to especially when you found the the backpacks around new york city and you could open them and there were some sort of easter eggs from the comics and all that stuff now i didn't grow up watching marvel or any of that so for me, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I know that a lot of Marvel and Spider-Man fans they thought it was really cool and fun to get those Easter eggs. Uh, so that's a way to reward at least the player of doing the side quests. But uh, let's see. Yeah, that's that was uh, some of my examples of bad side quests. So do you have any takes on that? I yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I absolutely agree. When it's like... Either you have the the I haven't played World of Warcraft, but I understand that that yeah. a lot of quests are like you know go and do X number of you know kill four wolves or something, and it's like there's an infinite number there, so it's just it doesn't really affect whatever the NPC. There's no story around it. It's just like throw the dice of do X X number of times. Mm. And uh, that's it. Or as you say, it's like go here and press the action button and then go to the next and press action button until. And I think, uh, you know, fetch quests and like escort missions are similar, I think, where it's just there's no story to it. There's no drama. Mm. Uh, there's, uh, you know it's sort of from the get-go you know exactly what's gonna happen like until the end and what you want is a little bit of surprise and a story um to you know contrast that with another good example is runescape uh which is uh also a really good uh quest system i think because all of those quests are really 
like quests in the true sense that there's a written story and you go on this adventure and then usually except for the like tutorial quests there are some twists and turns and you don't really know what's gonna happen and you only get like a chunk of the solution at the time so you know the next step in this is just you know the end goal is uh, for example save this guy from prison but you don't know like how do you do that if you go there then the you can't get open the cage for example and then you like have to talk to people and sort of figure out and uh, of course people have written quest guides and stuff to solve it but there's still the option to really try to figure it out yourself mm. which i really really like Man, I'm I'm curious to see when you play uh, Sunset Moon because it's uh, I'm yeah. obviously very inspired uh, inspired by Morrowind and all those games, but because of the type of game it is, it's uh, I don't want to call it fetch fetch quests, but I do. It's sort of baked in in a lot of the side quests. Let's say you have to. There are some kids on the island, and they will ask you to to play hide and seek with them. So that that hide and seek function itself does like. That's that. That that's a, a whole script just for that. Uh, I have not. It's still not working 100%. But once it works, that's one of those things I'm talking about where you you can play the entire game without doing that at all. The chances are that you will play hide and seek with these kids, which is a uh, which is a. I'm starting with a lot of the game, the Japanese games, uh, role playing games. They always have some some bullshit hide and seek game uh, in them. <laughs> I'm thinking at least about uh, Breath of Fire Three one of my favorite time games of all time but anyway you do that and then they will ask you like do you want to join our our club and then you yeah and it's a very cocky little shit kid uh as i said before we start recording <laughs> i'm very much inspired by uh the wh- where i grew up uh in the swedish outback and kids myself included tend to be quite dicky but anyway uh so then they will ask you well if you want to join our club you have to get us help us build our clubhouse so now all of a sudden it's basically a fetch uh quest because you have to get the planks but how do you get the planks now we're sort of in a minecraft ter- territory you know in minecraft in order to get these things you have to gather these things first and then you have to make the planks out of those things and then once you have all the resources you give that to the kid and they we start building the, the clubhouse and eventually that's the club has done, and now you're a part of the these king yeah. kids little gang. So I wouldn't necessarily, co- uh, yeah, I suppose that's kind of like a fetch quest thingy. Uh, I do agree with you with the uh, World of Warcraft. There's just like they're very samey all the time, uh, and I think uh, those kind of quests really suck as well. Uh, which it's uh, interesting now that I make a game that basically have fetch quests, but I like to think that at least they are uh, sort of hidden behind story elements, if that makes sense. So I'm rather curious to see what yeah. you think about that when once it's time to to play the demo, if you are interested. But yes, absolutely, uh, I would love it. That's a that's a good example of uh, bad quests, fetch fetch quests. But I was thinking when yeah. you said it about uh, World of Warcraft, what I was thinking about uh, is just that w- World of Warcraft to me is, is almost like it's a way to hang out with your friends. So I wonder how much that plays into it because those quests are really fucking bored. I was supposed to stop swearing this year, I said. Those quests were really <laughs> boring, but you're usually playing with your mates. So I feel like it's just something you do while you sit and talk. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I never played them. Uh, I only played World of Warcraft like a ten-day trial, and my brother and I we played on one of those uh, RPG servers where you had to behave like uh, as if you lived in the world, which we thought was super fun. Uh, but that's all the yeah. exposure I had to World of Warcraft. Yeah, I I guess I can't really talk as if I know what I'm talking about either. I've seen. You know, seen gameplay of it. I've seen friends play it, but I haven't really sat down and played it myself. But it seems like a lot of it is just very like number heavy. Mm. Like there's, you know, to level up stuff, just do this x amount of times, and then 
you know, to to do this quest, kill X number of whatever, and then that's it. You know, that's the feeling I get mm-hmm. at least. But please correct me if uh, if you have played it and uh, think it's the shit. Well, from what I played, that's what it felt me. like. Yeah. But another thing, I, I believe we talked, I mentioned this, uh, my sort of take on conspiracy theory about we're living in a matrix and everything is a game. Apart from now, when you said that, it's so number heavy, number heavy, yet so many people love it. Apart from me then thinks like, yeah, that's because we are robots and we just want uh, these sort of uh, mundane sort of uh, numbers and things just makes, should just make sense in a certain way. And then we get hooked and we keep doing yeah. it. Uh, but yeah. Do you have any? Yeah, I think there's uh, yeah, something to that because I think... Quests are sort of a like a mini video game in in the game mm. that they serve the same function as why you you like to play games because I think in contrast to real life they have sort of a defined goal and you always progress and you don't go you can't like do half a quest and then you fail so then you have to do it again mm. but rather you sort of progress through it and then eventually you get some sort of reward for completing it. And I think uh, if it's very number heavy as World of Warcraft is, I think it also serves the purpose where you can say that, okay, well, this week I leveled this much Mm. or I did that quest or whatever. And then you can feel a sense of accomplishment that's very easy to achieve with numbers, but very hard with life which is on the other mm. end of the spectrum i suppose yeah it's it's um yeah now i can't stop thinking about all the similarities between for example algorithms and all that like when you uh all the algorithms in the end of the day that's all numbers and finding uh, patterns and and then you get hooked and then you sit on whatever app you use for it, hours and hours and hours and you can't stop doing it. It's it's everything just goes back to numbers, the sort of language of the universe, and we sort of keep falling into that all the time. Uh, interesting. I just wonder why that is. Uh, yeah. Weird. Yeah. There, <laughs> Got deep yeah, this episode. Now there, there must be something to it, man. I just feel like I see it everywhere. Like uh, especially since I started yeah. programming, man. I I can't get out of uh, that mindset that everything is just numbers and everything uh, and the more numbers and the more you know when you make games things things should be dividable by four if you have used sprites and stuff like that to make the cpu power work less uh if you use a mm. spreadsheet for example they you can look in for example the unit editor it will say something about uh, 32 bits or 64 bits or 128 bits, uh, 254 bits. So everything is just like double, double, double. And all of these numbers are dividable by four. And you can see, for example, if you drag in like a, a random sprite that is not by, dividable by four, it's uh, the when I made Knife Boy for the first time, I didn't know this rule. And uh, it was just like, uh, it was insane how, how, how shit the game ran, and then I sort of re-imported all the sprites to the game and made them dividable by four, and it ran much smoother. Everything has worked much better, and crisper graphics and everything, even though all the settings were the same, if memory serves. But anyway, uh, there was something, yeah, just with numbers. Uh, I forgot my train of thought there, but when, when things make sense, it's like we just want to do that. When I worked as a plumber, they always said that the water always finds the easiest way or something like that. When you you do pipes yeah. up the walls and all that stuff. So you always have to think about like not making a pipe go up and then it comes down back up, whatever, to make it flow out the right way. So it always finds the easiest way. I feel like in some way, I wonder if we humans are hardwired to always find the easiest way. And that's through numbers. But, you know, on an unconscious level where we don't really see it or feel it or, or think about it. It's like water. It's just like find it easiest way. Uh, that's a weird, mm. weird thought coming from World of Warcraft, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. But um, tell me, how how do you think about quests when you make them? So, like, what is the process from like having an idea, like I want a quest like this, to actually, I guess, writing it and then implementing it? 
uh, well, the in Sunset Moon, the quests, like, I know there will be about 40 NPCs in the game. I have, I have about 16 in it now. And the reason why I know it's going to be around 40 is because that's, I have X amount of houses in the game and it needs to be at least one residence per house and some couples and so on. So I know it's going to be around 40, but I haven't written all the stories yet because I feel like the best stories comes when, uh, when you don't think about it. And uh, like I said before, uh, a lot of the stories I've written so far is sort of based on the Swedish countryside where I grew up and not necessarily the Swedish countryside. I also have one that is fairly inspired by a like uh, an outback family in Australia. When I was backpacking there, I stayed with some, uh, I was with an Italian guy at the time driving through from uh, Sydney to Darwin. And then we ended up in this little bogan village in the middle of nowhere. And then we got invited to stay over at these Australian people's homes. And then their, their son, who was about our age, came over with his friends. And they got all shit-faced, really drunk. We got really drunk as well. We all got drunk. And then that's one of those moments when I realized, like, man, countryside people are the same no matter where you go in the world. Like, they... Uh, yeah, there was just so much fun. And just like the way they are, is just different from, from city people. And I thought it was so uh, nice to see that on the other side of the planet. And I also really uh, felt that in, uh, in Chile when I was backpacking there. I bought like a case for my phone. And then there was a woman who was standing there because I tried to communicate with my shit Spanish to the, the staff. I was asking if it was like, if they could help me put it on or something, because I, whatever. And then this lady was standing there and she started talking to me in English and she, she said, I live in the southern part. So if your backpack trips goes there, you know, contact me and, and come over. So I did that. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, it's happened so many times. And then uh, we, well, she wasn't, she lived in the north working there, but she was going back some once in a while to her friends in the south. So we stayed with their, their, their friends. Two super cute daughters. The dad was a, a handyman. The mother was like a hairdresser working from home. And then I also saw this sort of countryside culture in Chile, which is really far away from Sweden, obviously. And it was also one of those moments like, man, here's a store. There's something here. This beautiful, uh, what do you call it? Not hostile, the opposite of hostile. Hospitality. Hospitable. Hospital family inviting this random foreigner to stay with them. And we went to some some hot, uh, cold waters up in the mountains. And I was there for about three days. It was just so wonderful and beautiful. And th this family gave me such an impression that I, I wanted to sort of bring that family into my game as well. So that's how I write most of my stories. It's basically based on uh, some true events that I experienced myself. Uh, and then... These uh, stores usually just come out of nowhere uh, when I'm just usually when I'm at the gym working out in the morning. I, I try to brainstorm ideas for the game and so on. So that's sort of how the 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 stores themselves pop into my mind. And then I, uh, of course, because it's a game and I want I like like I said in so many episodes before, I want to have this sort of black mirror twist to the story. So. Uh, even though they're based on sort of true events that I experienced myself in my childhood or while traveling, there is still like that dark sort of black mirror twist to the story itself, which makes it, uh, uh, which I like to implement in my stories because I, I really want the, the player to, to be on his toes all the time. And, and hopefully if I've done it right, or if you as a player play the, the certain side stories in a certain way, you would, uh, maybe think that you know how I'm writing my stuff and you would be like, ah, I bet he's going to die now. And then that doesn't happen. So that's the, that's also something I try to keep in mind to not always have this fucked up twist in the end of our side story, but <laughs> sometimes it is there for, to shock the player. And then hopefully when the player thinks that he knows how I'm doing my stuff, it will not happen and so on. So I yeah, one of the under sort of, one of the rules I have, at least in this game, when I try to write my stories is that uh, I want to shock the player uh, in unexpected ways. Do you have any cool? Uh, yeah. Like, do you write stories in in any of your games or? Uh, I have like thoughts about it, but I haven't written much down. I have this one game that I want to create 
after uh, the ones I'm working on now. So I for that I have some outline of a story, uh, but I'm just keeping it. I have like a notebook. I've saved some details of like the lore around that game, uh, but it's uh, uh, nothing concrete. So do you write your stories down or do you just keep them in your head until you actually implemented them or how do you do it? Uh, well, because most of them pop into my mind while I'm at the gym, I pick up my phone and then I uh, use the voice recording thing and then I just talk yeah. into my phone. Uh, and I usually just do like a quick sort of uh, a story about uh, blah, blah, blah. And then the end of the story, I try to put in there. It's similar to how I talked about how I like to make my games or how I want to make games in the future, where I'm sort of in charge of the start, the middle of the, and the finish. And then all the things in between, it's sort of up to the team to fill in them. And we go back and forth a little bit. But I like to have that sort of a, what do you call a skeleton uh, framework to work yeah. by. So when I write these stories, I make sure I have the start, the finish, the, the, the middle part there. And then so that's what I do on the phone while I'm at the gym because I, I'm working out, man. I'm not going to sit and type this stuff down. I, I'm there to, to pump. And then when I get home, I will listen to what I wrote or what I said in the phone. And then I will type that down on the computer and then add a little bit more of ideas. And then I put that into a document. And uh, later on, uh, usually I write the stories when we go to my wife's place in the mountains. So it's like an hour and a half by train. Uh, and what I also like to do is, even though it's in the morning, I, I, I drink a little bit of a highball. So I get that slight drunkenness feeling, which is pretty neat. The ball. Yes, and then I, I like to sit there and just type on the on the train. Like all the Red Colony games have been written on the train back and forth. And that's before uh, I met my... I mean, that, that's basically when my... Yeah, whatever. That's where I write my games, basically, on the trains, which is weird. And also now that I, we live sort of outside Tokyo, if I have an audition or something in Tokyo, I tend to go quite early and then I will go to a cafe and sit and write for a, uh, an hour or two and then I go to the audition and then I go back. And also on the train back, I sit and write. So that's sort of when I write the, my, my stories. Because when I'm at, at home in front of my computer, I really just want to work on the game. So I try to make the story stuff when I'm out and about doing other things. And the easiest way for me to write story is for that it's it's also easier to write my stories when I'm out and about because I have no distractions. There's no internet. There's no. Of course, you can connect always everywhere, but I just don't. But there's no distractions. I I also like to listen to music while I write my stories. If that answers your question. Mm, uh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun to hear about somebody who actually actually has a process like that. You know, I'm uh, far away from doing actual quests in my game. It's uh, so uh, very interesting, I think. And one more detail I do. Uh, uh, for yeah. example, some of my stories are uh, based on relationships, so romance and so on. So I have like a Netflix, uh, not Netflix, a Spotify playlist with sort of erotic music. So I like to listen to that. Mm. It's this sort of, well, what you would imagine in an erotic setting. And then I really like <laughs> to listen to that kind of stuff. And then I write the, the story. And it really sets the mood. Uh, so I have this voice. Cool. It, well, we, we should uh, share that uh, erotic uh, playlist in the description so people can uh, get into yes, the mood. Yes, indeed. Perhaps. And then uh, another one is where the detective the, the, the detective's storyline, it's a uh, noir a detective soundtrack as well. I like to listen to when I did that part. Mm. But the detective's uh, cool. story is done, so I won't have to listen to that again. Nice. Well, uh, interesting. Uh, something I also like when when quests do is when they incorporate sort of it's not just the you know go here and press action key to you know, whatever it is, or just go here, talk to this guy, and then, you know, bounce around the NPCs, and then eventually you're finished. But that they incorporate some of the game systems themselves. And uh, RuneScape, again, is a very good candidate or a very good example of this, in my mind, because 
the way that they do it is that you have these skills, for example. So it's a MMORPG. So you have these skills, which is everything from like farming skill to fishing to to combat skills to construction to crafting, smithing, mining, whatever it is. They have like loads of skills. I think it's 20 something or maybe 30. And then usually they incorporate that into every quest. So every quest has skill requirements to be able to do it. So for example, to do this quest, you have to build a share for this character because this situation requires it. Or you have to get through this rock or something and then you have to add this high mining oh. skill, for example. What you is... have to wield this thing. That sounds very much like uh, what I'm doing. Uh, and also Stardew Valley to be mm. uh, RuneScape. Is it that yeah. kind of farming game? Why have I never... Uh No, it's an MMORPG. So it's a really old game, ah, I suppose. So I, I and this refers to old school RuneScape, which is like kept it 2007 graphics rather than the RuneScape 3, which is modern graphics and, in my opinion, shit gameplay. Mm. So it's, uh, I think it does it really well that it really, really incorporates skills and like the mechanics mm. of the game. So it sort of teaches you all about the, the game and how it works when you do mm. the quest. And sometimes you have to do quests to be able to progress in a skill or sometimes you have to, like for one skill, you have to do a quest to unlock that skill. So you sort of, that quest is the tutorial for the yeah. skill. And, you know, there's a lot of those things. So that's better when, you know, there's some, like, deeper thought. You have to just sort of understand how the game works rather than just go here and press F mm. or something. Yeah, I think, um, uh, well, a lot of these farming sims are in a sense like that. Like, even in Stardew Valley, someone might say, help me get a fish. Uh, like the side quest in Stardew Valley and even the, the whole main story, I wouldn't say that's the strong point of those of that particular game. So it's unfair to say that it's shit because I really don't think that is the intent of the game at all. It's to make a farm and uh, just that's it. And also make some relationships with people in the, in the village. But uh, one qu side quest might be like, uh, help me get this fish. So I never necessarily did the side quest, but I'm pretty sure that you can't fetch... A, that particular fish, unless your fishing skills are at fishing skill level two, for example, then uh, you can catch that fish. Or I know for a fact that you can also upgrade your farming skills. So someone might ask for, it's just like a billboard in the village, like, please give me a potato. And there's like a, a star next to it, which means this is a, a, a high quality potato. But in order to get a high quality potato, you need to have farming skills level two. The process is the same. You just plant the seeds as you always do. But when your farming skills are better, you there's a chance to get a better potato. And then there you have it. I think those side quests are, they are, like I said before, even with Sunset Moon, it is kind of like fetch quests in a sense, but it's sort of like uh, uh, hidden behind uh, this, all the mechanics. It doesn't feel like a fetch quest because you're. it feels like you're always progressing towards something. And that sort of sounds like what you're doing in, in RuneScape. And yeah, like I said about the, the, the treehouse in, in Sunset Moon, you, in order to build a treehouse, you have to do all these other things to get there. And I, I like those uh, side quests myself when it's... Uh, one thing I also like with these side quests is that it's kind of like uh, you can sort of put them on the side and then... Because uh, if you don't have the skills in the moment, you can keep playing the game the way you would in, for example, Stardew Valley or Harvest Moon or whatever. And then once you have reached, uh, your, your skill points are, are met, you can sort of go back and do that quest. I know a lot of people like OCD people like myself who like to sort of take everything off straight away. Uh, it can be frustrating, but because of these types of games, especially Harvest Moon, Sunset Moon, uh, Stardew Valley, it's just the whole game takes place in one small place. So for me, it, it doesn't bother me. It would, however, if I, I know that I have to come back all the way here to finish a side quest later on because I don't have the skills right now. Uh, 
that I think would, would bother me from an OCD point of view. But uh, this, uh, this way of making a side quest where you're constantly progressing towards something and yet you can do other things at the same time, I think that's pretty neat, I guess. Yeah. And I think also something that I came to think about when you said a small place is... So the main quest, I think, also uh, to crit critique that a little bit is to to define what makes a good main quest, in my mind, is usually... I think it's sort of been overdone, this whole trope about saving the world. So it feels like, like in that instance, there's so many games, which can be great. I mean, the Elder Scrolls games, uh, the, when I play the main quests, are great. But usually the quest is save the world and then at the end you get like a girl or something and you know you're going to succeed as long as you just do the whole mm. thing. But I really like those stories where it's not save the world, but rather it's save your world. Like in the sense that you as the character have this small life, your world, and then something happens along those lines and then... You know, at the end of it, like in the grand scheme of things, nothing has changed with the world, but like so much has changed with with the character, for example, and what they've experienced. So that's also something that I like when games dare to do that they, you know. Yeah, totally. I uh, I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, I suppose the Last of Us one is. Uh, sort of putting that whole save yeah, the world exactly. upside Great. down, which is, uh, that last was one really, uh, man, it was awesome. It really, it was really awesome. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. Yeah. That is, you did this, uh, completely unexpected thing. Same thing goes with, uh, I think, uh, a lot of the success from game of thrones was the fact that main characters dies. And I think that's, uh, well, until, until, uh, was it HBO? Until they wrote the last uh, season yeah. and then they just sort of screwed it up and made it as you would <laughs> expect any Hollywood writer to make a movie where uh, the good guy wins and all that stuff. But uh, leading up to that was the main thing. Like, you, it was like almost like you didn't want to watch yeah. it because you, you, one of your favorites might die. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's really cool. Um, and also why I love uh, the Black Mirror stuff. I think they're, and yeah, they're, they're just sort of random how they end and very, uh, I've, now it's been a couple of years since I saw them, but I felt like they were really difficult to, to predict what, what was going to happen and so on. Love yeah. that kind of stuff. So I agree. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. What's your opinion, by the way, about like quest markers so you know you have the one sp end of the spectrum where you have like after every point in the quest there's a, like an arrow pointing like go mm. here press e or whatever and then you know all throughout the quest until you completed it and then you have the other end of the spectrum which is i guess morwin's approach where you have just a piece of text that says what you need to do next and then you have to figure out how to get there who to talk to what to say and so on all the way until you complete it, so you sort of get no help. So what's your opinion on uh, which one is better or if there's a, a sweet spot somewhere? Uh, I was thinking about Morrowind. I feel like the last one, or, well, at least the Fallout games have quest markers because they have a GPS, I suppose, in the on your pit, pit boy. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not, I don't like quest markers. I think it's quite useless. I mean, I think it, it, it defeats the purpose. If there, if, if there is... Especially in an open world game where I think the purpose is to explore, and yet I all I do is just following a quest marker. I, I think that's completely pointless. Uh, just in that case, yeah. just make a linear game if if that's where I have to go. Uh, I do. I think about like Final Fantasy seven, eight, nine, and so on back in the day when I didn't even understand English. It would say in red text like "Go northwest," and northwest was highlighted in red, and I knew. Okay, I will, you know, look in a dictionary or whatever what that meant, and then I will go that direction and press on everything until I found it. Now, of course, that was back in the day, and I had all the time in the world to do that kind of stuff, so I wouldn't like to do that today, I guess, or or if I played a Japanese game. But 
that's not the point. The point is, I don't like the the quest markers. I think that sort of defeats the purpose. And I, especially in exploring games, I do think, however, that uh, sometimes I can't quite come up with a an example right here and right now in terms of when they're when where you're supposed to go is not clear enough. Now that's obviously something that it's like a balance thing, uh, game design thing, but I can't come, can't think of any game right now where you, um, they tell you where to go and there's no quest markers where to go, but when they told you where to go, that was not clear enough. So I'm, I'm quite lost anyway. And then I have, would have to go online and figure out where I'm supposed to go. So that's obviously bad game design, but I do think that, um, I prefer not to have any quest markers at all, but they sort of explain it well enough. So you have to figure it out yourself, but it shouldn't be hard enough that this is yet again, something I've tried to do in Sunset Moon because there will be no quest markers, but it's a small island. So one thing I like about that is sort of like once you have played a game long enough, you should be able to know where everything is. So if someone would say like, oh, I really need this plant. I know it grows near, I don't know, the, the green echoes store. And then you will know where that is because you played the game long enough to know where that is. And then you will go there and look for something and then you will find it. And then you will hopefully feel that sort of achievement that you, you, you went there, you searched for it, you found it, no quest markers. And it sort of helps you, uh, you are happy because you thought it out and you figure it out yourself. Those are the sort of like, I like that kind of stuff yeah. in, in games where you are being tricked into believing that you're a smart person, which you're not. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think I agree totally with that. And I tried to, like a while back, I played the new Harry Potter game or I guess Wizard, Wizarding World Hogwarts mm. game. Uh, and uh, I tried to do that thing there where I thought, wouldn't it be cool to not look at the quest markers and then just if they say, oh, you got to go to the common room or you have to go to the dining hall or whatever. And then you just develop this sense of location where you are and then go from mm. that. But it's totally not made for that, I can tell, because I really, really tried to find, but it's just such a big castle. There are no signs or anything that tells you like this way is where this is. So it's just lo loads of empty hallways and stuff. And then you, it's just made for you have to to fast travel to to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and it's even if you are at the place, there's nothing indicating that this place is called whatever the potion chamber or whatever. Uh, so I also like that if like if possible that you can figure it out yourself and there's no map either so you just develop a sense for where everything is in relation to each yeah. other. Um, but as you said, I I think there's uh, when doing that it's very important to sort of guide the player and tell them that you know every piece of the way, uh, for example. You know, you don't have to have a quest marker, but you could have after they have reached a certain step, like they are in the right part of the map or something, that you have a quest log or something where, it, you know, the main character thinks to themselves, for example, oh, now I've reached this thing. So now I can continue, do whatever, just nudge the, the character or the player along the way, I guess. Yeah, I think um, uh, I have a... Regarding that, like I have in real life, like borderline savant skills when it comes to directions. It's insane. Sometimes I'm scared of myself for memorizing how to get places, even by looking at a map once. I look at a map. Okay. Now I know uh, it's, it's freaky almost. Uh, it doesn't work when I'm underground, which is weird. So a part of me thinks that I'm sort of connected to some G GPS in the sky, but when I play games, I, I think I mentioned in a previous episode with uh, open world games, for example, Grand Theft Auto 3, the first island of that game. Uh, my brother and I, we didn't know, understand that we had to make quests in order to unlock the second island. I think I mentioned that we thought we heard on the at school that if you got a million dollars in the game, they will open the bridge to the next island. 
but we used to mess around on that one island forever. And man, I, I knew everything about that island because we were just there on that island. And I, I mentioned in that episode, we talked about open world is in particular that uh, by the time they become too big, not only do they feel more empty than ever, but it's just like, uh, the only way to sort of navigate them is through maps and quick travel system or these uh, quest pointers that we are talking about now. And I really think that's uh, that's a bummer. I prefer games to be smaller. And I would expect that uh, Hogwarts Legacy is small enough for me to learn the out, uh, what do you call it, the, the layout of the castle because I'm, I'm freaky when yeah. it comes to those things in terms of location and memorizing those things. But I am surprised to hear that there are no clear indications where to, like you would expect, because I also remember we had a guest on this show who talked about you need to implement recognizable object in the, in the game for the player to know where it's going. And he asked me something about Sunset Moon and I said, yeah, the, none of the buildings look the same, so everything looked different, which means that you will be able to uh, as a player, memorize a certain area of the game. And again, it's a small game, but you will quickly be able to memorize where this house is because it doesn't look like any other house and so on. Uh, can't remember which episode or what the, the topic at hand was back then. But in terms of uh, Hogwarts Legacy, it would be quite simple for them to have like uh, recognizable statues and and... I don't know, like a, the floor could be different in different yeah. areas. So you would always sort but of mem it, yeah. memorize certain things. But the problem is that when we follow these pointers, we don't think where we're walking. And this is something I also notice when uh, my wife is driving all the time here in Japan. When I'm sitting next to her, I will like, I'm just not thinking. So I wouldn't have any clue where we're going. And that's when my sort of savant skills are not working when I'm not driving myself. But when I'm driving, I, I have to think where I'm going. And then for some reason, I will never forget where that was or how, even like I said, I just look at the map once and I know how to, how to get there. But when she's driving, it just doesn't work. And I think it's the same thing with games. When we just follow these quest lines or these pointers, we're not thinking ourselves and thus we don't uh, memorize anything. Uh, so it yeah. would, I think if there were no pointers in Hogwarts Legacy and you were sort of forced to memorize it yourself, maybe it would actually work or, or maybe there are actual uh, sort of things in the game that are recognizable, but you don't think about them because you're just simply going back, defaulting back to the, the map or the quick travel system. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, and exactly. And I think it's it's more fun to to navigate the world by actually looking at where you are and then trying to find your way rather than just navigating quick travel menu. Just go here, press E to talk to this embassy, travel back and then press E on the other embassy and then Yeah, no, that's awful, yeah. You know, and yeah, it's sort of as the game becomes navigating menus instead of actually mm. playing. But I just think about like... I haven't seen the Hogwarts game in a while, so I don't know if they've updated it. But imagine, like, from a lore perspective, what the game would be like for the actual students. Like, how would they find their way? Well, the smart way to do it would just be at every floor, you would have a sign pointing to the staircase, which is, like, the, the center of the castle. And then in the stair staircase, you have a floor plan. On this floor, these things are and then yeah. on the other floors, whatever. And then that way you could just find your way through all of it. And that wouldn't take that long to create. And if you wanted to keep it uh, more mystical in terms of Hogwarts Legacy, because you don't want to spoil what's on every floor as soon as you enter the castle, it could yeah. also, you could also implement this uh, fucking spell where once you have explored a, yeah, a floor, yeah, yeah. it will actually show up on that uh, board in the staircase. Like on this mm, floor, you have these things. Yeah. And that would also be a quite fun, unlockable, unlockable thing to, to do for each floor. So it won't tell you exactly what's on yeah, this floor exactly. un unless you have explored it once. And then, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. But to, speaking of that, uh, one final point is that uh, the Starfield game 
when I heard that it's a lot of trick, yeah. quick travel in that, I'm just, no, I'm out. Like that, that's not, that sounds awful. I, and I think yeah. we also talked about that on the previous episode, like as far as I can tell, there's like different planets and stuff like that, but it's just like, you have to quick travel between them and so on. I just wish they had just squeezed all of these planets into one planet and make you walk between them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think also that it's better to have like something like Resident Evil 1 where you have like, okay, you need to save this guy dying from the snake poison. So you have to run to where you remember that the herbs were. So then there's no map or anything. You just Mm. have to remember the rooms you were in rather than having like Starfield. I don't know if it was Starfield, but I heard some sci-fi game at least like to do this quest, there's eight like loading screens mm. to get through so you have to like go to this space station so instead of just going it's like okay click go here to fast travel to the ship loading screen and then just press launch on your ship and then there's a cinematic and then a loading screen then you know fast travel to this star system loading screen and then you know, you repeat that until the space station, and then you eventually you have to get to inside the space station, and then you talk to the guy, and then you have to go back and do all mm. those loading screens mm. again to get back to mm. the first place. So it's like, why even, you know, either you should be able to go, or you should just fast travel from the one place mm. all the way until... You know, instead of nobody wins from like these mm-hmm. fucking loading yeah. screens. No, it's uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, but I, I wonder. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, I do. I also don't like when you have to run back all the time, especially when it's far distance or or, or if you have to use loading screen to save time. I think uh, it's a bit weird, but uh, it would almost be cooler in that case, for example, to talk to that guy that I don't know how the settings and all that were, but imagine there's this guy, he's dying, and then on the way back to your spaceship, you get in your spaceship, and then maybe for some reason, the guy you gotta talk to, he's there for some reason. I mean, that would be a better solution than having to go through eight loading scenes to get to him. And then he's there, and like, yeah, I don't know why he would be there. Like, maybe he crashed his plane next to yours, saves you eight loading scenes, whatever, but... I don't like when you have to go back to the guy. Yeah, I agree, but that's... I agree. Like, having it end in a different place to when they started is also nice. And then you could have some twist, like he was stalking yeah. you the whole way and actually you were going to transport this thing to the government, but then the guy who gave you the quest actually stalked you and then tried to rob you and take it for himself, yeah. for example. That would be a good twist and uh, yeah, way better. Yeah, Absolutely. So what do you say? Should we start wrapping it up? I think we're a bit yeah. over an hour. Uh, as yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, uh, everyone, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please, uh, if you have any experiences of your own with Quest or anything uh, that would be fun to bring up in a future episode, please let us know. Um, please send in a voicemail if you have something uh, nice to say. And, if you uh, want to be on the episode, please let us know. That would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. That would be <laughs> amazing. So, uh, yeah. That would be cool. Just uh, let us know what you want to talk about and we'll set something up. That would be really fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you again for listening. Thank you, Rune, for being my amazing co-host. Thank you so much. And... Uh, <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I've enjoyed this episode, so I hope you did as well. Have a good one, and we'll see you next week. Bye.